0: Hey everybody. This is Tuesday Morning Grind, episode number 43. Today, we have Virginia Mokswebna with us. Virginia has over 15 years in the privacy space, uh, current Vice President and Global Chief Compliance Privacy Officer at Agilent Technologies. Uh, you are do some teaching at uh, Santa Clara University Law School, and you're also a board member at uh, Humans Against Trafficking, which is great. So thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So Love talking to people about how they got into privacy and how it became a passion for them. You have an excellent background between law school, corporate, and at some some point you decide not to be a trial lawyer that you wanted to get into privacy. So how did you get into privacy?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So first was making the transition from trial law to in-house. And I did that um, because I realized there was more to learn, right? I'd sort of done trials and depositions. I knew the everyday was going to look like and i found a job that i didn't know how to do and i thought i I need to try that and it made me a better lawyer but it also introduced me really to the first um, round of privacy and at that point i resisted uh, profusely resisted (laughs) joining the privacy program Um, it felt daunting And then as I got more into compliance, um, and particularly as GDPR came out and we started prepping for that, it's just something you can't not do in compliance. But it really gave me an opportunity once I started in the healthcare space to understand why it mattered more. When I was in the consumer space, it was less interesting to me. But it's really interesting to me from a healthcare standpoint, and how healthcare life sciences companies deal with it is very different than sort of your consumer technology. Approach. So that's what I love about privacy. Um, I also love that every day I wake up, um, there's something new. Uh, We jokingly say every day there's a new law in privacy. And I mean, it's practically every day. Last week, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, China's been very active. um, And we're just seeing places around the world that we never expected to be sort of leading the way in privacy, really coming forward with privacy laws. So it's always interesting. (laughs) And always different every day.
0: For sure. So when I think about privacy, you know, it's rare that you get to work on something that it feels like you're working on something important of the moment. And what I mean by that is I think if you look around, you look at the regulatory environment, you talk to your friends and family, you think about what's going on with social media media and your cell phone. Like we all have this sense that privacy is important, but we don't know what to do with it. And and it's like one of those unarticulated things, like you can't speak the truth because you don't like it's just not really in your grasp. So help yeah. us do that. Like, why, why does privacy matter from a societal perspective? And where, where do you think we're at?
1: I think technology has made privacy so important to users, but it's really continuing to evolve. And the unfortunate part about it is that the law will never catch up with the technology. And so it's becoming more important as consumers and users and um, people who are engaged in any kind of technology to understand what privacy is to them, right? So I use data protection in our workspace because if I say privacy, people think social security numbers, bank account numbers, right? And that really is the core of what US privacy started from, right? US privacy thinks about um healthcare privacy and financial privacy and GDPR comes at it from a completely different perspective but what i love about privacy is it literally is an opportunity to influence how things are going to move and change and i love doing that on behalf of the healthcare industry because i think that a lot of the laws we're seeing are a reaction to technology a reaction to breaches that we see a reaction to bad things that have happened And that's part of why I got out of litigation and into compliance was to prevent bad things from happening and in the life sciences space in particular and healthcare more generally you know data becomes critical to major breakthroughs in um, potentially curing diseases or understanding diseases better cancer for one is is a great example right cancer isn't one thing it's so many things but the more data that you have available the more opportunity you have to understand something um, and then potentially attack it in a different way. And so that's why it's so important in our space to have access, but then also to treat it with such respect and security and really um, make sure that we are caring for that data as if it were our own. Um, But as consumers in the world, right, you are giving away your data every day in ways you don't understand, I guarantee, um, for convenience, for things like uh, a robot that cleans your uh, floors. What you may not know is it has mapped your floor plan. And then that data is available to someone or some company, uh, worst case someone, right? Your security doorbells, your cameras that see into your house, those things you are giving up some data about you and your lifestyle and your work, your home space, which may be your workspace in this case now um, with the pandemic, but you're giving all those things up for convenience. Like I still don't understand why people want smart refrigerators and like smart washers and dryers. Like I don't need my refrigerator to know what I have in it at any given moment.
0: I, I don't <laughs> like... need my uh, dryer to know that I don't need do near enough laundry.
1: 100%, 100%. I don't need and that's like that's personal secrets. Like no one needs to know that. Um but every every smart technology that we use is basically, you know, mapping some part of your home environment. And the question is is that the right thing? Yeah. And what are they doing with that data? And if it were gotten by some bad actor, what could they do with that data?
0: Yeah, I- I feel like privacy is kind of like a genie that is like in the movies if you don't ask the question specific enough it plays a trick on you and traps you
1: <laughs> because,
0: 100%. because we get all this great stuff you think about your phone no one's going to deny all of the advantages of having a smartphone sure um uh, an alexa or, or similar kind of listening device in your house there's I mean, play music do recipes it's really cool but then when you look behind some of the terms and services, okay, we're passively collecting data on you. It's unclear how they can use it. There's a lot of flexibility on how they could use it in the future. Then you get subpoenas that come out and you know, then it becomes very real for some people. What do you think – like what's missing in, in in tech companies? Because they have the capabilities to do nearly anything from a data collection perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll beat up on Amazon, a great company but doing doing a lot of – cutting edge things. So for example, they have the Alexa device. They have all of your shopping habits. They have right. um, a ring doorbell, which is a lot yep. of video and they could aggregate that and, and do all sorts of really helpful, but also potentially nefarious things. How do you, how do we begin a conversation as a society around that? Or are you doing that with companies like thinking about, I mean, we shouldn't be doing this like the, should we do it before? Can we do it conversation? Do you see any of that happening in the corporate environment?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the first question I think you ask in a compliance and ethics program. It's not, can we do this? It's, should we do this? Right? The law may not prevent it. The, you know, the regulations may not address it, but is this something we should do and what are the implications? Um, I think it's definitely a conversation that we need to continue to have and. Um, Unfortunately, right, we don't have the right people in the right places passing the right legislation. So everything tends to be reactive to something um, as opposed to thoughtful about the broader landscape and thoughtful about the implications. And to me, it's because we've tried to do too much with some of the privacy laws rather than get really specific. Right. So, um, you know, as a consumer. If you want people to market to you, right, there's a certain level of conversation that's, uh, you know, opt in or opt out. And we all got those sort of million notices about what was happening with GDPR in our emails. But, you know, I don't think of my personal email at the same way I think of my work email. Right. And yet we make no distinction. Our privacy laws for those things, mm-hmm. we need to have a consumer based privacy Um, standard and conversation that's different than a business to business privacy conversation. And and currently that's not happening. Um, And I think that's one of the important gaps. Yeah. And then, I mean, we need to help ensure people understand the implications, right? The minute you plug your phone into your car, the data that gets compiled from those two things alone, right, is shocking. The amount of information someone can get, right? My car knows my contacts better than, you know, my family yeah. does, right? I mean, it's just, um, and normally that's fine because my, you know, no one's monitoring my car directly, right? But if I'm some important person, right, getting that data becomes really critical and then hacking becomes important and then you know that's where you see bad actors. And I think we always have to think about what are the implications of this? What's the bad thing that could happen? And continue to educate consumers about giving away their data, whether it's you know for games that look like they're free um, or conveniences like these smart technologies. What good is that doing and what's the cost? the hidden cost, I think, sure. of privacy.
0: Yeah, one thing that, this is the thing that keeps me up that I can't crack. And I look at incentive structures in terms of privacy and they're all over the place. So if you look at the corporate world and like ignoring regulatory environment, does the corporate world have what it takes to enforce privacy? When we have this glut of data, this monetization of data, um, and, and my I feel like no, like there's too much opportunity uh, to really enforce it in a strenuous way. Like I, you're not going to ask Amazon or Google to stop collecting data, stop creating, doing new use cases, not on their own devices, I don't think. Then I look at the court, the, the government sector and say, well, can we regulate it? But then I see things like the, the NSA's spying apparatus or how these uh, senators and stuff are on the boards of these big tech giants. And then I'm like, well, is the incentive structure there will where they will adequately regulate it, not only regulate it, but then choose to enforce it. So are you seeing, even at the state level or, or other countries, are you seeing anyone begin to tackle this problem in an interesting way, either B2B or regulatory-wise?
1: I think no one's tackling it in the most interesting way. I think what we're seeing is countries have sort of a knee-jerk reaction of, we need a GDPR-like um, concept. And so they they grab that as if it's an end-all be-all and gdpr is missing a lot of things in my opinion Um, first it doesn't take into account the different kinds and segments of data that exist It, it purports to be about data subject information right but that's not all created equal and i think You know, what they were really trying to go after was big tech companies, Mm -hmm. um, big data collectors, whether they're um, because they have an app or because they have a particular technology. But what they went, right, everybody is included, right? There is no threshold and it isn't about particular segments. And I think that's a real miss. The other thing that I think is amiss is the lack of real security controls that's Mm. embedded in GDPR. One of the things I love about HIPAA, and I am not a HIPAA fan, so let's be really clear, but what HIPAA has is a privacy and a security rule. And we've had that for over 30 years, And, and they did security right in HIPAA. And I'm disappointed that in GDPR, there's this like dropped reference to security but no actual controls around it. And so then when other countries are looking to who are the leaders in privacy, right, they sort of look to a very specific set of regulations and they either pick their favorite things from each of those, not understanding the combination of yeah. those things, um, or they just adopt something wholesale that may not make the most sense for what we're trying to target. And that's, disappointing to me because we never get to what's the real problem what are we trying to solve what is it we want to protect and why um we just get this mishmash and now it's like this ugly quilt of laws around the globe. And to ask a global company to be able to manage to that is pretty unwieldy, to be honest. I mean, that's one of the greatest challenges is like, which law requires this and which has data localization? And where's our data at any given moment? And how do we comply with this crazy patchwork that doesn't make sense together and isn't integrated?
0: You know, one of the I think we're putting ourselves as a society in a weird position from a regulatory perspective because we have lots of forces happening at once. One, security and privacy are coming of age at the same time. So you have some security regulations, some privacy regulations when really you need them bundled. And you mentioned the patchwork, the quilt of regulatory. It's almost so complex you can't reasonably ask a company to comply with it. So because of that, you almost have folks who at the regulatory perspective aren't doing a good job enforcing it either. Right. You know, so Yeah. How, it, yeah it's it,
1: absolutely true. And then we see even with GDPR, which is supposed to be the EU, right? The Italian data protection authority comes out different than Belgium. And right, I mean yeah. you get this, you get a patchwork even just from the regulation. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is what's realistic, what's reasonable. And again, I would focus on right enabling security for privacy. The better your security is, the less you need to worry about privacy controls. So the more you're doing things like multi-factor authentication, the more you're encrypting data at rest and in transit, the more you are um, you know, making sure that your access controls are sufficient and tight. And you're thinking through that, um, the, the less you need to worry about privacy. Um, That's not to say you shouldn't be, I think, transparent about what you're doing with people's data, what you have access to and why. And I think data subject requests as a general concept are good. But, right, for those of us who saw it in practice the first year after GDPR, what happened was employees, particularly employees in Germany, requested their data. And, and right, that's not what the law was intended to predict. It wasn't about employee data, but those are the kind yep. of unintended consequences that people need to think through. So we spent all this time responding to German data subject <laughs> requests from employees, right? As opposed to spending that time investing in making sure, you know, we were doing privacy by design, right? Or, or managing actual data subject requests. That's the myth as I see it. It's just not precise enough. Mm-hmm and it doesn't really go after the things that matter to people, right? It's, <laughs> you know, does it matter to you whether your employer collects data on you? I mean, they have to give you benefits. If, if they don't have the data, they can't. So, you know, the value of that, I would, I would say is limited. And then in the U.S., right, it creates this risk of being contrary to all these employment laws around what you can have access to. Like, should you have access to any email that your boss has referring to you in your your performance if you're not included in that and how will that affect your willingness maybe to sue a company right for an employment claim that you wouldn't even otherwise have known about does that make sense is that what we're trying to enable here or are we trying to enable you know, I like to say it's, it's about grandparents and children, right? Who are our riskiest populations? And if you're sending emails to them, that's one situation versus business to business emails. Is that is that really what we want to go after?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just crazy. I've also noticed there's this phenomena of like companies doing the worst stuff are protected by so many layers of abstraction you know like the questions that you might say we should ask is probably not intuitive for what like the the layman non-privacy expert would right. ask because you wouldn't suspect that your data is being collected no. and used in that way so it's like the worst actors are protected by that layer where pretty much everyone knows their employers gathering data so I'll I'll tackle them but that's not really the problem so it's a little frustrating
1: Yeah, I think it is that people don't have transparency to what data means and what data exists out there and what the implications are, you know, should it matter if someone markets to you because they have data showing that you've been, you know, shopping for a pregnancy test and diapers and things like that. You know those are some of the use cases we hear about all the time is like oh now a parent knew that you were pregnant and you might not have wanted them to know because they send marketing materials to your house is marketing the thing we're going for or is it really about right protecting private data for different reasons i don't know but that's what we have to answer now
0: those are the right questions right that we're not answering so from a business perspective. So I'll come in and, and RISC 360 does stuff on security and privacy. So we'll walk in and executives know theoretically that this stuff matters. Some of them know the particulars, but you know when it comes to privacy, the way that I see it manifest itself is either a new regulation comes out and they wanna know like how to navigate that, or they get a contract from a big client and it's requesting new requirements and using privacy language. And they're like, okay, I gotta do stuff. What's that stuff I have to do? So from your perspective, if you're a company, I mean, there's a barrage of regulatory requirements, contractual requirements, you name it. What's the playbook? Like where where are you starting? Where do you pick this stuff up to get started?
1: Yeah, so for me, it's never about the law. It's about how to operationalize it because so many laws are written in ways that aren't clear about how to operationalize. And so it is about what are your risks? what's your business, what's key to your business, what data is key to your business, and how do you wanna use it and why, and where. And then from there, it's about mapping out where the restrictions, risks, and concerns will be. Um, Fundamentally, there's, today still no law that prevents data use and abuse, let's be honest, right? The restrictions that are created by Brazil's Act versus China versus California or Colorado or pick another jurisdiction, none of them prevent um, use of data. Uh, They put controls and monitors and things in place. So you have to have data mapping. Um, If you're an organization of a certain size, you have to know what your data flows are, what the data is. And I think a lot of people never thought through those things. So in some ways, GDPR created this operational requirement around it. And then the California Consumer um, Privacy Act and its variations have you know, created some other tools and mechanisms around it. But as a business, what you wanna know is, what is it you want to do and why? And then how do we create transparency around that? How to make sure we have um, anonymization or de-identification in some places so that we don't create unnecessary risk of people's data being leaked or used improperly? And then how do we enable that maybe in our products. So depending on your product lines, um, we make products that characterize things like soil, water, air, and and can detect whether there are um, contaminants in those things, as well as diagnostic data that help you identify not just what kind of cancer you have, not just if you have cancer, but what kind of cancer you have that could then identify an immunotherapy treatment that might be available to you because of the protein expression. And those are the kinds of things I think people want to enable, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so our job in life sciences and healthcare in particular is to be clear and transparent about what we're doing and why. And and I will tell you that um, cancer patients as a group tend to be the most active um, in terms of a consortium of people wanting to make sure that we are making breakthroughs in that space. But, what is tricky is with these laws, we're not treated any differently than a company that makes an app or than you know the um, the various other technologies that exist. And so we're constantly having to advocate for what we want to do and why. And you know, we've been doing clinical trials. Um, Admittedly, there are some very bad cases of misuse in those spaces, but clinical trials have always had a notice and consent component um, so that you're being informed about what's being collected, why it's being collected, how it's going to be used, and how we might use it in the future to develop our products um, and to develop new diagnostics. I think people would want that if they could understand, but it's so easy to just throw your hands up and say, This is too complex. So for an organization, instead of sort of trying to follow the law du jour, um, we are sort of rallying around what we call basic privacy principles or tenants and taking more of a principles based approach than a law based approach um, where you can really say at a high level, what's our organizational view on integrity and transparency and notice and consent? How are we going to behave generally? And then only when you get one of those strange outlier laws do you sort of have to put it through the washing machine and say, okay, would we do anything different? Um, The place we do different things are where, you know, countries require data localization, which I think is the most challenging situation. Do you really want a server in every country in the world or, or certainly a handful of pretty high risk countries, that's a big challenge for organizations. For
0: sure. Yeah, one thing I do appreciate is it, it's hard, is sometimes it's easy to be cynical about privacy because you see like the mass collection and going on, but there, there really are bright spots and one of them you just highlighted. And it's like this idea of doing a risk assessment, understanding data flow, why you're collecting it, what you want to do with it. I, I do see an, a large uptick In companies having those conversations, you know, whereas before maybe it was like, you know, we'll collect everything. We can have accelerometer information, geolocation data, you know, we might use it at some point, so we should go ahead and collect it. Whereas now there's a little bit more of a thoughtful approach, like, yeah, we don't need that. I don't have a really use case for that. And that's, that's great. Um, And I I imagine the the big companies are having those conversations too. Um, Let's talk about regulatory stuff. So... GDPR, HIPAA, um, others that are emerging state by state, country by country. Uh, Do you, for one, here in the U.S., do you see any potential for a federal regulation or do you think we're going to keep seeing state by state stuff?
1: I cannot imagine a federal regulation on this topic passing. Um, I mean, just to get almost anything through our uh, current legislature is challenging enough, but a topic that is so specific and detailed and difficult to understand, I can't imagine getting bipartisan support for that. I think as a philosophy, right, people would say, oh, we're behind a federal privacy law. But when it comes down to brass tacks and Mm -hmm. the details of that, I can't imagine getting one through our current uh, government or any of our Regimes after that. Um, So I would say that I expect to see state by state um, continuing in the US. And I don't even think that when we have, you know, 49 states, like all 50 states have breach management and we don't, we still don't have a federal law on that, right? It would be great to even just tackle one piece. But I can't see that happening. I don't see any strong leader emerging to say, this is an important topic, and here's why, and here's how this affects you, yep. um, and I see a lot of uh, bad behavior continuing. I mean, like, voting rights laws are a great example, right? Data alone would be able to tell you a lot about voting rights information, and so I'm not sure it's in um, one party's interest, certainly, to have a legislation on this, but I also don't think Um, our legislators just have an eye toward why this is important. What they see is cybersecurity and the risk around that from nation state attacks. Um, And that really may be the only way that it gets passed is in the guise of a cybersecurity type Mm. legislation. But I can't ever see it being passed as a privacy law. I could see sort of the new version of the Patriot Act being a cyber one. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's interesting because... Um, They recently tried to – there's been some cybersecurity executive orders and then the DOD tried to put out uh, this thing called CMMC. It's a cybersecurity maturity model. So if you're a federal contractor, you have to get a certification. Right. And and everyone uh, took that to the bank in terms of there were some companies investing serious money gearing up for that and also getting ready to become certifying bodies. And that is – it's questionable about whether that's actually going to become a thing. And, I, and, and that seemed like a sure thing in terms of everybody was on board with that. So I tend to agree with you when I think about privacy because, the A, we don't have the language to speak about it quite yet. Um, B, there's just so much controversy for some reason tied to getting that through at a federal level, which is in stark contrast to the state level. Because if you get that on a ballot, like people are pretty much voting for it. If you can get like, do you want more privacy? almost always people were saying yes i mean
1: who says no to that right it's like do you want more chocolate yes i mean the answer right of course when you ask at that at that fundamental level do people want privacy yes but what does it mean in action the lack of understanding is significant and i would expect that there are you know many big us-based organizations that would be throwing millions of dollars to block it. I mean, I'm frankly shocked that California passed in light of, you know, Silicon Valley. Like it, Mm. um, it's still a mystery to me. I I can tell you that when it was, um, you know, sort of going on, right. So it's like a Tuesday that it gets proposed in order to, you know, block a ballot initiative. And by Friday it's passed. And I, had a meeting had a regular standing meeting with my ceo at the time and so on friday i updated him and he said in virginia i'm pretty surprised that you never mentioned this before you didn't even have it on my radar i was like oh because it was on no one's radar it literally came about tuesday and passed in record time and now we're just trying to clean it up and fix it i had no idea it was coming it was an attempt to block a ballot initiative that then came about the next year anyway." Um, Pretty shocking turn of events oh, yeah. and a bad way that privacy would get, you know, legislated. That's just not good.
0: No sloppy. How
1: can, yeah, yeah, how can you get it right? Um,
0: yeah. It's, it's, so yeah. taking this concept, so probably no federal thing, definitely more states. We know that every country is going to be doing something. Yep. Um and then you said earlier something that resonated with me. That's why you have to take a principles-based approach. So how I interpret that is agnostic of any regulation, uh, the, the foundation of all, all of the privacy stuff is are a set of fundamental principles that if you enact, you will naturally meet the spirit of a lot of those regulatory requirements. Am I interpreting that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That there are some common themes and there are some big ticket items that if you do properly, you should meet 90% of the regulations. And then it's that 10% outlier that you figure out what you want to do about that and and how much you're going to run that down, how much of a risk that is to your business.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's get out of the U.S. Let's talk about China Mm -hmm. because China is uh, fun to talk about, whether it's security, economy, or privacy. But they are definitely pushing the bounds in terms of capabilities and privacy. So you have things like social credit score, uh, their version of Facebook and Amazon combined into like, uh, WeChat and, and all that. So yep. what you can do there is just incredible. What do you think? Like, what are you seeing when you see China? Is that like foreshadowing of what's next for the U S is it an extreme case. What surprises you?
1: it's an extreme case, I would say. Um, so China has recently passed, in addition to their human genetics um, law, they now have a data security law and a personal privacy law Um They're both fascinating. They're both very different. And um, as a nation state that we sort of are always watching for, right, it's the fastest growing economy that we see And some of what we're seeing them take action on is actually pretty um, positive, I would say. So them taking action on their version of um, a driving app, right, where people get picked up at a particular location, right? So, you know, they're taking action and saying virtually every resident uses this, and therefore just the sheer amount of data this app provider has is too much and we're concerned about it. So that I think is a really positive sign and one that I probably, if I were betting in Vegas, wouldn't have bet on China to be taking action on um, just because of how they operate. Um, But I think that's a positive sign. On the other hand, right, these laws um, as written are very broad and it's gonna be how they're enforced that really is key so you know as written there are some provisions in there that you know if data is requested by a foreign government entity um that the chinese authority has to approve it before that data can be shared with that entity i wonder a lot how that one is going to be enforced and how that's going to be used that has a lot of potential to me for for bad acts and for um I, I would say just basically trade wars between countries that could be used to block a significant amount of activity. The question is, is that the way the government is going to use it? And you know, as passed, as written, and as we're seeing today, that doesn't look like how it's going to be enforced, but it certainly causes me, you know that question is, okay, well, if the EU or the u s. requests data, and, and you're not a, a company that is headquartered in China, what's that going to mean? And how are you going to come to terms with that? It's not going to be easy, I think, um, long term. But I think in general, the idea that, you know, the place with the largest population is passing privacy laws is a good thing. Um, it's the enforcement that I have a lot of questions about. And India, right, is sort of next for me, what I don't think companies, what I haven't heard them talking through is the idea that anyone who has a call center in India, this is going to affect significantly. Mm. And they should be concerned. You should be concerned if you have major operations, particularly a call center in India, like that should be what's on your radar and what you should be working toward because I, I expect that one to be the next massive um law and and that will affect a lot of data that sits in or goes through India.
0: Yeah, w- from a observ- pure observer perspective. Like this is an interesting time in history because we're, we're getting to see how these very different political apparatuses tackle legislation and privacy. You have like the Communist Party in China, India which is considered like one of the most democratic type of yep. states. Uh, the republic here in, in America, our style of democracy and republic, and you have Brazil, which is kind of a defunct government,
1: right? Um,
0: and they're all putting stuff out, and so it's like, what's the format that it takes? What are the specifics, mm-hmm. the particulars? You can kind of see this angle of everybody's got something against the U.S. because of the spying <laughs> apparatus. There's always like, we right. saw with Shrimps too. There's like a little bit of, now nah, you got to have the data here. You can't just request it if you're the government. Um, so it's just really revealing and someone a hundred years from now is going to do an analysis of all this and <laughs> be able to tell us a lot about ourselves that we can't see right now, but it's very interesting.
1: For sure. I think a lot of it will only be able to be seen in the rear view um, yeah. because it's just moving so quickly. But I'm always surprised at countries when they're talking about the U.S. buying mechanisms, right? And I And then I think about what it's like to just live in the United Kingdom and have have cameras yep. on every corner. I mean, that to me is so significant an intrusion and has so much opportunity for um bad behavior and um and government activity that would be concerning. And and that doesn't exist in the United States. Like I lived in Arizona for two years and like they got red light cameras taken out of Tucson, like as a as a democratic decision that this was in violation of people's privacy rights. Like so it's so strange to me, um, you know, that that the UK would be seen as, you know, a place that has these you know different mechanisms when there's a camera literally on every corner and then every tube stop and i mean that it's so strange
0: yeah And then you got you know the great firewall of china putting out privacy legislation then you got the us it's like everyone's it's this that's the whole incentive thing it's like we're all mixed up right now and trying to figure out where that lands is complicated so let's talk about trend so Technology is pervasive. You, I see things like uh, at mobile phones, just like rampant. everybody's spending more and more time in front of a screen. Uh, it's just a tracking device in some ways that you're carrying around with you all the time. Then you think about like oh, what Facebook's doing with Oculus. Like there's some great business use cases for that, and even doing work virtually, like not mm-hmm. just virtually as in remote, but virtually as in virtual reality. Uh, China's got their uh, WeWork stuff. We talked about the the social credit score and stuff. If you fast forward this out 10, 20 years, do you see us this becoming a bigger problem? Or do you think like the next generation is going to buck the trend and be like, no more of this. We're not doing it. My dad did the phone. Phones aren't cool anymore.
1: (laughs) I would love to think that was the case. I would love to think there was going to be some massive revolution against technology. But as I see it, right. People who are, you know in their 20s today don't know a world without a smartphone don't know a world without google don't even understand where like how it's possible that some of us grew up without those things that like you know the encyclopedia britannica was like what you went to when you like when you were trying to find things that things weren't at your fingertips I don't see that changing. I mean, I think there'll always be sort of a small section of people that, you know, want to live off the grid. And, you know, will that grow? I don't know. I doubt it. I think what we're moving toward are more wearables, more interconnected technology, more smart technology, and more cross-data transitions. I think that wearables will quickly become implantables. And, um, you know, I think that has a lot of, potential challenges it also has upside though right I mean people chip their animals but we don't chip kids right which seems strange to me like if I lost a kid I would want to be able to go to an app and be like where is my kid Um, that technology seems pretty valuable we do it for our cats and dogs like I like that's strange to me Um, but I think that you know the implantables that are then going to have your Financial information and, you know, all the other things that you currently carry in a wallet or in a phone, I think it's eventually going to be some kind of implantable or wearable um, technology.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of uh, of the moment because we're thinking through like what to do about COVID-19. And mm-hmm. the, and the uh, the healthcare passport, I call it a healthcare passport because it's not just COVID nineteen. It's not going to be just COVID. Yeah, it'll, it'll yeah. eventually be all of your healthcare. And there's great pros to something like that, in yep. terms of uh, your ability to control it, access to it, uh, accuracy. Mm-hmm. Then you also see, I can see how it could be abused. I can see how it could be stolen. I could see how you know my insurance company can harvest that and charge me more. There's lots of downsides to it. How do you think those conversations are going to go down? How we're we going to find a balance? Is it just going to be like you know corporate and regulatory bodies talking about and trying to figure it out? Folks like you, do you have a sense?
1: I think it's always going to be a combination. I think there always has to be sort of a group of concerned citizens. And I don't yet see that group emerging very quickly in the privacy space. so i'm I'm hopeful that, Um, We'll start to see more of that, that COVID has really created some questions and urgency around privacy that didn't exist before. Um, You know, there were a lot of laws that were on track, um, particularly in the U.S., to pass. We were, you know, we were tracking like 250 laws at any given moment poised to pass. Then COVID sort of shut the world down, and a lot of those laws went on pause. And COVID has taught us some really interesting things about privacy and technology and and is creating a much more um, robust discussion. But it's also, you know, when you have urgency, you're more likely to pass something that you don't think through all the way and you don't think through the implications of, and then it can have some big holes in it. And I um, am at least heartened that people haven't immediately passed these things that they've sort of stepped back to say, and there's conversations about is a health passport a good idea and under what circumstances and, you know. And not just sort of had that knee-jerk reaction, because I think in the past we've just had very knee-jerk reactions to technology and like, oh, that doesn't feel right. I don't know why, but it doesn't feel right, Um, rather than really taking the time to have a conversation. I hope more people are going to get interested in um, why privacy matters to them and their families and um, their concerns but I think it's overwhelming and I think in the middle of a pandemic after you know almost two years in this like people are worn down and there's fatigue and I think fatigue um, is a terrible combination when you get laws um, you know that aren't very mindful of the implications for people so I'm worried uh, to be honest and I think once a law gets passed it's much harder to pull it back off the books um, than it is to sort of revise it or, Mm -hmm. you know, do some tweaking with it. So I hope people keep up the conversation and start to understand. But the more I see wearables, the more it's clear to me people don't. They don't, you know, they would prefer the convenience of knowing their heart rate and knowing the number of steps they've taken, and they'll give that up almost nine times out of 10 you know, for that convenience. It doesn't matter to them what data is being used or how it's being used. Um, It's just easier not to think about.
0: Well, these are important conversations. And Virginia, thank you so much for uh, spreading the word and, and having this conversation because it's so important. And if uh, you guys out there watching and listening enjoyed this kind of conversation, you can check out Tuesday Morning Grind. We have a playlist on YouTube. You can check out Risk Three Hundred and Sixty, and we have a Tuesday Morning Grind playlist where you can see our lovely faces as we're chatting. Or if you prefer the uh, the listening methodology, you can check out us uh, check us out on any podcast app that you like to listen to on podcasts. So, Virginia, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.